Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. You are actually my first interview of this season, so I've been on break for like two months. So I'm probably uh, a little off, a little little nervous about the whole situation. I spent all morning like, can, how do I turn the computer on? How does this all work? <laughs> Getting reacclimated. We're we're back. Yeah, I'm in my little closet studio again for the first time. Feels good to be home. Yeah, I like the setup there. I was just thinking. I was like, nice. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 1 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. And I'm glad to be back, both on this show and in my home podcasting studio. And I say that despite the sirens that just went by and the truck that was backing up and the motorcycle that was revving, and even the crows that are cawing outside my window. My wife and I just got back from a long, a very long, summer road trip. We spent a lot of time hiking and camping and visiting coffee shops around the country. Check out the Bean Journal on RoastWestCoast.com to see the list of all 32 shops and roasters we visited. Normally, coffee is my thing, so it was really nice to share that with someone I love and whose opinions I value and depend on to keep me headed down the right path with this podcast. Normally, the Bean Journal is just for paid subscribers, but to celebrate the launch of the new season, the Road Trip Post is available to everyone. In a few moments, you'll hear my interview with Chris Vigilante. He's the founder of the Bicoastal Vigilante Coffee Company. But first, I just want to tell you that one of our roast industry partners, First Light Whiskey, is available online with free shipping on orders over $50 right now. Head to firstlightwhiskey.com to order and to get a preview of some coming soon canned cold brew cocktail offerings. The founders of First Light, David and Ryan, are going to be on this show in a few weeks. They'll be sharing some details about how they got into innovating new products and the backstory on why they decided to jump into the coffee space. You won't want to miss that, so you might as well just subscribe to this show now wherever you're listening to the podcast. Today, Chris joined me from the newest Vigilante Coffee Roaster location, in Oceanside, California. He was sitting outside, leaning up against the building, just a few miles away from where I was sitting in the podcast booth. What I want you to know about Vigilante before we get started is that when you walk through the big open garage door, you'll immediately be struck by a teal blue wall behind the coffee bar where some mounted letters spell out the word happy, which is how I feel when I'm drinking coffee and when I'm working on this show. If you want to see photos of the newest roastery space while you're listening, follow and check out at Vigilante Coffee on Instagram, or just check out the newsletter that accompanies this show on RoastWestCoast.com. And now I ask you, what makes you happy? I hope it is listening to podcasts with a full mug of coffee, because it is time for this interview on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast with Chris Vigilante 
founder of Vigilante Coffee Company. Let's just get into it. Chris, uh, welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. If you might, uh, for me, let us know, the audience know your name, uh, what your role is at at your company, and uh, what your favorite Ninja Turtle is. Donatello is my favorite Ninja Turtle, the Purple Joy. My name is Chris Vigilante. My role is the CEO and founder of Vigilante Coffee Company. Just to clarify, uh, you were at one time the head roaster, but you are not now. Yeah. Founding the company from a basement in Northeast DC, I was the roaster, barista, manager. I wore every hat in the company. And as we've grown, I, my role has become more CEO based as well as green coffee buyer. Uh, but even in that role these days, I'm starting to have uh, some help from some of our other teammates in, in the company. So um, I'd say CEO is my main role, green coffee buying something. Got it. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of come back around to that, but I want to learn a little bit more about you. What got you started in coffee? Did you ever, do you have like a first experience that made you think, yeah, this is something I'm kind of into. I want to kind of go down this path. You know, my path is uh, a little, like, I don't have any memories as a kid of my family really like being really into coffee. And I didn't really touch this stuff until I was 19 years old. Uh, for fear of stunting my growth, I had aspirations of playing in the NBA. And so <laughs> it, I think it was like in college, I was struggling to find a job one summer while living out in Hawaii. Uh, my family had relocated there. My dad worked for the military. And so I was out there for the summer, uh, crashing on their couch, surfing, and trying to find a, a gig for the summer just to stack some coin before I headed back to school. And I couldn't find a job anywhere. It was the middle of the recession, uh, like the very beginning of 2008 that summer. And unemployment was extremely high. Uh, I think it was like 40% in Hawaii at that time. Really difficult, just like 40 people in job for a waiter job, you know, in line for a waiter job. Um, So uh, because I couldn't find an internship or a job that I thought would make me the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time, uh, I had this epiphany that maybe I would enjoy running my own coffee shop one day and and perhaps I should pursue something that would make me happy, not necessarily make me a ton of money. And so the epiphany was just, it could be cool to own a coffee shop. So why don't I get a job at a coffee shop and see if that works for me? Uh, And I had planted the seed a year prior when I was doing an internship in Miami. I was an intern at the Miami Sea Aquarium, working with manatees and dolphins and feeding alligators and all that stuff. And uh, that wasn't for me. I quickly realized that world wasn't what I was really passionate about. So I had a second job because I only made like $6.50 an hour at that internship. So my second job was at a small cafe called Books and Books in Coral Gables, Miami. And they had a very magical setting, courtyard, tied in with this bookstore that felt very old and traditional kind of Cuban style coffee. And so not specialty coffee, uh, and then traditional cafe fair. And I loved that job. I, I remember thinking like that didn't feel like work. And so maybe uh, owning a coffee shop, that, that too would not feel like work. That would feel like play. And I was interested in turning my work into play and finding something that I would be passionate about and that I thought would make me happy. And 
so I applied for some jobs in Honolulu, Hawaii, um, trying to get a coffee shop job, but it was really difficult. One place in downtown Honolulu was hiring called Downtown Coffee. And I emailed them and then I showed up like every day for a week until they were like, all right, you're obviously the most interested. You can have the job. And so that's how I got my foot in the door. I started as a barista. Uh, it was a small 500, 600 square foot shop. They roasted right there. We would roll out a little Dietrich, IR3 Dietrich, uh, seven kilo roaster out into the courtyard, roast, and then serve those coffees in that coffee bar. And it was just me and the owner. And it was just a great education. It was such a good introduction to the the world of specialty coffee. And before long, I was cupping coffees from farmers in the Big Island, on Oahu, over to Maui, Kauai as well. And so I was getting to try all these different coffees directly from farmers in a cupping atmosphere with some of the greats of, of the coffee game. Pete Lakata, World Barista Champion, the founder of PTs was in the rooms, Rusty's Hawaiian Coffee, a really well world-renowned Hawaiian grower. And I just started realizing that this was a better education than college. And it, the summer was winding down. And I was like, you know what? I want to keep on pursuing coffee. I'm going to hold off on going back to school. And I'm going to stay in Hawaii and keep pursuing a career in coffee. And, um, and that's really how I got my foot in the game. I pulled a couple of things out of that. One is is I can uh, estimate that I'm just a couple years older than you because I remember that recession as being a recent college graduate, which was real fun. Oh, yeah. We got a dose of reality then, didn't we? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I had bought a house and uh, couldn't get a job and just ended up, we ended up selling the house. It was a whole thing. It was an interesting time, uh, an interesting generation to be part of. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs came out of that because they were looking for opportunities to provide for themselves. Uh, it sounds like even at a very young age, 19, you already knew that you wanted to be your own boss at some point. Really, I felt that I wanted to, I didn't feel like I felt fit in the corporate world. Um, you know, I, I told you I had done an internship at a sea aquarium. It was because I was in pre-veterinary medicine in my freshman year. I did poorly in it. I ended up getting some C's and D's. And, and then I, my grades were so low, I couldn't even get into business school. And so I felt like I, I wanted to be in that business path, but I was maybe not able to achieve it because of my grades. And so I always kind of had a chip on my shoulder. And then in 2008, I was watching some of my buddies graduate with very little direction, very little opportunity. And I just wanted to have something, a skill. I wanted to say like, oh, this skill, um, I, you'll at least pay me to do this, whether it was roasting coffee or preparing it. I thought of that as a skill set that would be really valuable because I felt like my college education wasn't that concrete valuable at the time. Like it wasn't going to guarantee me a well-paying job and most of the jobs that could get were that desirable. And so it was really just out of the chip on the shoulder, plus uh, this feeling that, you know, the coffee world was somewhere in this counterculture, non-corporate section. And I dug that. I'd always been into punk music. I'm a skater, skating my whole life. And like throughout the 90s and early 2000s, you know, it's just until recently that I was like widely accepted in the popular culture. Whereas back in the day, you know, we would get sued by a bank for skating a handrail and like um, cops would show up and sit us all on the curb, 15 cops. So I guess I kind of came from that counterculture world as a youth and I felt that coffee was an extension of it, that specialty coffee, that the coffee house in America at that time uh, was an extension of it, but also blossoming into this like, really cult, like, 
culinary driven culture where the quality of the coffee was dramatically important. And there was at that time, from what I could see, just a few companies that were really approaching it at that level. And, you know, that brings to mind like your intelligentsias and your blue bottles and your stump towns and your counterculture coffees and George Howe. I'm sure I'm forgetting a whole bunch of great ones too, but those folks really laying the foundation and I just dug it, man. I thought it was cool as shit. I thought the whole scene was awesome and I wanted to be part of it. And I felt like it provided me with a skill set that was tangible, that people would pay me money to do something, uh, whether that was roast beans, prepare the beverage. And so that's really what I was after. And then as I got going, I think I got frustrated at times in my growth where I like wanted better quality or I wanted more control over a certain aspect of things. And the only way I would ever get that is if I owned it myself. Yeah. I think that's where it kind of slowly developed from, but I, I do remind myself, I started with the intention of owning it from the jump. I just, I knew I needed to learn every little aspect if I was the one day own it, uh, you know, I needed to know the bar and management. I needed to know, uh, marketing and sales and roasting and green buying and all of that. And so, yeah, I just set about trying to build a career. I'm uh, smiling because I can relate to that feeling of like, I will never get that level of control without owning it. And I have certainly been like the second in command enough times to know how frustrating it can be when you're like, this is what we need to do. I'm the one here doing it every day. You know, that's, that's why people end up where they are. Um, you end up uh, going back to the East Coast. I believe that's where you're from originally, if I'm not mistaken, yes. or where you, you yep. spent time. Yeah, yeah. Grew up yeah. What made you leave, uh, excuse me, what made you leave Hawaii to decide to open up uh, your own place? Well, I think it was, you know, on some levels economical. I was 22, 21 at the time, and I was sleeping on my parents' couch still trying to, you know, save up some money to start my own coffee venture. And on a barista salary, you're not really able to save much at all. Even if you live with your folks, I think I saved like five grand in like a year and a half or something. And so one, I didn't want to live with my folks anymore. That was a big part of it. Like (laughs) I wasn't used to that. I had never like since like 17, I had gone and like I hadn't lived at home anymore. So while I was grateful that they let me stay there, I was eager to leave. And so uh, it was a path out of my folks' house, which again was like some more control of my life and, and the trajectory. I had more of a foundation as far as friends and uh, colleagues in DC, in the Philly area, in the New York region, like where I felt like if I came back east, I could put my flag in the ground a little uh, easier. You know, being in Hawaii and like kind of a transplant, it was a bit lonely at times. And so I think wanting to come back. East was also like, you know, reconnecting with friends and family that I had back there and getting started there just made a lot of sense. And so that's where the main motivators. And then when I Googled specialty coffee or specialty coffee roasters in DC, Philadelphia, and New York, uh, DC had a few amount of hits and there was seemed to be not much of a scene yet. And so I figured that would be a good place to get started is a place where they they seem to still be catching on to the specialty wave. Sure. That's truth be told why I left Hawaii and ended up in Washington. Well, and when you're there and you open your own place, you put your own name on it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Vigilante is your, is your last name, right? 
It is, yeah. So there was a, a little bit of an evolution to get to that place too. Oh, okay. Well, where did you start and how did you get there? Sure. So when I came back east, I was working for a Hawaiian coffee company based out of the Big Island. These were one of the farmers that had brought in a cup, uh, a coffee that was just extremely high quality. And I was eager to learn more about how they were achieving that quality and just work for them. So I started roasting for them, doing farmer's markets, learning that whole scene, and then wholesale. And so it was a great opportunity for me early out of college and trying to learn the ropes. When I came back east, I had about five grand in savings. And then a friend who was in the marijuana business had said, hey, look, I know you're headed east to start your thing. Here's a little like seed investment of around 15000 which was more money than I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's, it's kind of coming together. You know, like how, how many young college, recent college graduates have this opportunity to, to give it a go? You know, 15 grand isn't much to do all that much, but I felt like it was enough to get started. And so uh, me and the head of that Hawaiian coffee company I worked with decided purchasing a coffee cart back east and that I would start through a coffee cart where I'd serve espresso outside of like a busy building, roast my own beans, probably on my back porch because that's how we were doing it in Hawaii. So I was applying a lot of the same techniques I was learning there to the east. And so that's what we did. We bought like this old school coffee cart on eBay. And this dude showed up to my mom's house. My parents were relocating back to the East as well, coming like, I guess like a year after I left Hawaii, but planning for it. And so they had a house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is like Amish country. And we sent the coffee cart over there and I moved to DC and I became a barista at several cafes to be able to survive. And I was wholesaling Hawaiian coffee for that coffee grower based on the big island. And the idea was I would eventually springboard into my own coffee cart and I would sell coffee wholesale to various businesses and I'd have this direct Hawaiian plug. But the problem became that the quality started to really drop and the consistency and I just became frustrated with the situation. And it became clear to me that I was going to need to branch off and do my own thing if I wanted to have the control I needed and if I wanted to be really proud of the product I was creating. And so I parted ways with them. And then the name Vigilante came about because it's my mother's maiden name and it's been in my family. You know, I have a hyphenated last name being my father's Puerto Rican and often in Latino families, you'll see a hyphenated last name. And I never really used Vigilante until I was working at that coffee shop in Honolulu and my mentor was like, hey, last name's Vigilante? I was like, yeah, but I don't use it that much. He's like, if you ever start a coffee company, you should call it Vigilante. And I was like, okay. And I just like put it in the back of my mind. And, and then when we were kicking around names that we thought might go good, Vigilante was the one that everyone liked the most. And so while a bit narcissistic, um, I, I felt it worked and it said what we wanted to do in coffee and it had my name behind it. So I had to make a product I was really going to be proud of. That's how we ended up doing it. I have to confess something to you, which is when you opened your most recent location in Oceanside and I saw the name Vigilante go up, just like on a sign, like coming soon sort of thing. I assumed the name was relate was somehow politically related because we were at yeah, such a kind of a crossroads, right? And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, great. Like I'm going to have to go to this coffee shop and be 
you know, deal with this nonsense. I mean, I'm still going to go, but like, I'm going to check it out. But I, I didn't have that uh, awareness of the company before that. And so it's really, it was really interesting to me when I finally did go there. I probably didn't come to your shop for at least several extra months because I thought there was some sort of connection there. And realistically, that's just ignorance on my part, not only not knowing what it meant, but also what vigilante means, you know, as, as a, yeah, uh, I get it. on your website. Yes. Yeah. Negative connotations around the, that, you know, taking the law into your own hands, especially in the time we live in, and we literally have people like storming the United States Capitol, that kind of stuff. And so it does fall in that. Um, we've come to redefine it as a company. The root word vigilari means to keep awake. And so that's very fitting for our name, vigilante and working in coffee. But then we changed it to say a citizen or organization that challenges the status quo, right? Like that could be third wave coffee shops challenging the traditional second wave shop or, and or the Starbucks and creating something that's a superior product and betters their larger global village as well as their local communities. And uh, so I like the way that it flipped it on its head. And I also kind of, in some ways, I liked how when we would do the farmer's markets, people were like, oh, vigilante, you know, you guys like the Batman of coffee. And we would hear that kind of rhetoric uh, quite often, but it was often like they would judge the book without checking out or, you know, check, judge us just off the cover. And then when they opened the book and they, they tried the product, they, they would be pleasantly surprised. So uh, I found that it worked for us, but on some cases, maybe it's kept some people at bay, which is unfortunate. I hope that they'll give us a try. <laughs> well, I did. And I, I'm really glad that I did. I've been really enjoying that you're in my community, uh, not far down the road. Just for everyone listening, Chris is sitting outside of his coffee shop in Oceanside. I'm guessing you're Oceanside since I don't think there's palm trees in, in uh, D.C. No, no, I'm in Oceanside. That's that's kind of my next question is you are on the East Coast. You've established your, you open your company. You have some success. You open a second location. At some point, you decide to open a third. Why go by Coastal? Why, why come to the West Coast and open this location, uh, which I believe opened during the pandemic 2020, 2021? 2021 is when we opened. Um, 2020 is when we opened. Well, I, I always tell people you got to count the failures before you count the successes because it's a whole series of failures leading up to the success. So the first coffee cart shat the bed. I custom built it, tried to get it street legal. They were like, it's too custom, no way. But you can use it at special events. And so um, basically it was a total bust. I used it at a few events. When you're a rookie, you don't even know what events to do. So I was choosing terrible events like motorcycle rally in July in Washington, D.C. That is not this place for specialty coffee. So I learned. <laughs> um, so, you know, damn near bankrupted us through, you know, the learning lessons of just being a beginner in business. And the failure of the coffee cart led to a concept that I read about called the pop-up and the pop-up around 2012 was a relatively new concept, you know, where you show up in someone else's business and maybe you display clothes if you're a clothing manufacturer, or maybe you set up a coffee bar inside of a real bar while they're closed and then flip it to the regular bar once they ready to open in the evening time. So we took the espresso machine off of the cart and started doing pop-ups around Washington, DC. We were already familiar with farmer's markets, and so we were really strengthening our ability to do these pop-ups in informal kind of coffee bars. And that is really how we existed for a number of years as we honed in our skill set as roasters. I went to roasting school in San Francisco as we eventually found the building that we started 
roasting out in Maryland, in Hyattsville, Maryland, going from a basement in farmer's markets to that. That was a big deal for us. And so it was a stepping stone to that. Another coffee cart attempt at a music venue in D.C. called the Anthem, which was successful in some ways because we got to see a lot of dope concerts. Uh, but, you know, in the late <laughs> evening time, it's not a huge coffee drinking crowd. And so um, ended up selling that cart as well, but still lives on inside the inside the business of the Anthem. And then we got to the College Park store, which was, you know, we had kind of been blessed to see some success by that point over those seven years. And we're around 2017, 2018, and we're by this college park, this town that needs great coffee. And so that's why we opened up the College Park stores is really there was a huge need for great coffee in the college town nearby us. And then I came back west to California, started traveling out here in 2018, up and down the coast from San Francisco down to SoCal, really trying to find the town, the vibe, the energy that we felt matched ours, that we wanted to contribute to, and that had great weather and had great waves. And those were big parts of the reason. You know, I left Hawaii, I'm a big surfer, and so spending a decade away from the ocean was really kind of a painful experience. And I was eager to get back closer to the oceans, which for me is kind of a spiritual, you know, really special place. And so those were the main motivators. And we started looking 2018 and then 2019, we started getting a little closer. And then right around the end of 2019 or no beginning of 2020, we were close to signing a lease in old town, San Diego, but the pandemic hit. And it, you know, took out most small businesses by the knees and we shut our shop down for about a month and had, you know, had to go reestablish everything and which was good in some ways and bad in some ways. But we had to kind of like step back from the San Diego dream or dream of opening in California in the West Coast. Uh, and we, we discovered Oceanside, you know, for simply out of luck. We were driving around during the pandemic and there's a lot of buildings that were starting to come up for lease, whether it was businesses going out due to the pandemic and were just, you know, their tenure had come to an end. And we drove by this really epic building in Oceanside and we just fell in love with it from the jump. And um, so we just gave a call to the, uh, the leasing agent. And at the time, I don't think there was a lot of people making moves on leases because of the pandemic situation. There was a lot of uncertainty in the air, but we knew what we wanted to build and we knew we we'd need many years to do it. So we have a longer vision for what we wanted to go about and do. And the timing just worked out. And so, yeah, we signed the lease for the Oceanside building in 2020 and it took about nine to 11 months to build it. Wow. The the building is uh, shared with South O Brewing. What is it that you want people to feel when you were doing this build out? What were you thinking about? How people will react when they walk into the store? And I'll, I'll preface this by saying, I think the layout in your store from a business standpoint, as someone who appreciates uh, keeping things for sale in the line of sight is one of the more impressive ones I've seen in any coffee shop that I've been in in a long time. Uh, we definitely wanted that transparency. We wanted you to see the work because if we're doing it with a craft intention, then it's almost beautiful to watch the work and then you appreciate it more, I think, you know, and when you walk into a Starbucks, you, you literally can't see past that point of sale usually because there's machines and a lot of objects for sale and stuff. And we wanted to create more transparency and a little, be a little bit more visible. But I think what we want people to feel when they walk into our store here is to feel uplifted. Uh, I want them to feel a 
positive energy that's emitting from the speakers with the music, from the way you're greeted when you first walk in, to the smells, the aromatics that the coffee's creating in the room, from the roasting to the grinding. Uh, and I want it to be seamless. And, um, and hopefully, yeah, simplistic to where you could come alone and feel like this is awesome and you come with a friend and it'd be equally as awesome or come with a, your family. Um, I like it to be versatile in that way, but the, the thing that we strive for as a company, our mission is to uplift others through coffee. And so that is ultimately what we want to see happen when they come in our doors and leave. They're going to get uplifted from the caffeine. That's like a guarantee. But if our energy, if our welcoming attitude, if our approach to hospitality is authentic, I think they'll walk away feeling uplifted from that too. And so that's what we aim to do. Um, one of the ways that you you present yourself, you mentioned you want people to be able to see the work, is you have a transparency report on your website. You actually list some of the prices that you pay for coffee. Why do that? Why, uh, aside from just the experience in the shop, how do you think that's a value add to your customers? And then you you specifically reference climate change uh, when I'm reading about your company, and kind of teach people how to recycle your products or coffee products in general. What do you think your responsibility is as a producer of a product uh, in, in that realm? Well, as a business, we create a product and then put it out in the world, but our products create waste. Our products have excess, uh, whether those are the used coffee grounds we produce, whether it's the cups, whether it's the thousands of boxes we receive to be able to do what we do, to have our merchandise, our shirts, our coffee sleeves, our filters, you know, everything. So we're creating a lot of waste and we want to be a more sustainable business and contribute to a better future. And if we're going to do that, we got to manage our situation better. And that means reducing that waste. That means being intentional, learning how to do that. You know, like we were just as ignorant as anybody else on how to approach that stuff. It, it was over time and just being intentional about learning it and applying it that I think made sense studied other businesses like ours, like Patagonia comes to mind and their approach to just a win-win-win attitude. Like we can make a product that the customer wins with, we can make a product that the company wins with, and we make one that is good for the environment. It's not gonna negatively harm the environment. And I subscribe to that. I'm, I'd like to leave as little of an imprint on the earth when I leave it as possible, but hopefully some positive ripples. And so as a business, we feel there's a responsibility to, to run our operation in a sustainable way and continue to get better. We have a lot more work to do in, in improving it. You know, we, we admire a lot of the B Corp companies of the world. We didn't apply for that B Corp cert ourselves simply because we didn't want to answer to a third party for this, that, and the other. Maybe we're just not there yet. I don't think we have the infrastructure to be able to submit every document that might be requested. But we believe in holding ourselves accountable to similar standards that B Corp companies do. And so that's what motivated us to create the transparency page. I truly believe that we might have some of the largest stock of high-end specialty coffees in the country, considerable amount of amazing coffees in our inventory, and we pay top dollar for them. And because we pay top dollar for them, we have to charge top dollar for them. And the only way that it's going to make sense to a customer is if they kind of have some inclination as to why this shit costs so much. 
you know, I could tell you it's super specialty and it's had some refined process done to it. But the more authentic and real way is just say, yeah, it cost me $30 a pound. So that's why it's going to cost you 45. They have the choice of not buying it and going with the cheaper coffee. But if you're interested in trying, you know, what's the bee's knees at the moment, then you're going to go for that super high end coffee. And I find that I've never seen myself as a salesman. I've just kind of said, hey, this is the product. I think you'll love it for these reasons, these authentic, real reasons, you know, how we source it, how we how we work with those producers, how we approach the roasting, how we try to use sustainable packaging, how we try to give great service. If you buy into all that, then I think it would make sense that we do business together without me pitching you on some romanticized version of why you should work with us. And so that's why I think uh, we do the transparency reports. We talk about the sustainability and packaging. We're, we admire the B Corps of the world and the companies taking the steps to, to operate on a higher level. And we would like to be considered one of them one day. Sure. And I'll just mention that you have the Vigilante Gives Foundation, which uh, I believe gives 1% uh, of your annual sales back into the communities that you're in, if I'm not mistaken on how that works, which is similar to kind of the 1% for the planet. But again, uh, as we were talking earlier, a little bit more control because you're choosing where that 1% goes. Exactly. That was a big deal to me because I've done things where like, I went for a big NGO and like donated my time to teach people how to roast, but it ended up being kind of a dud and not working out the way I'd hoped. And I just decided like, okay, I think we can be more impactful if we control exactly where, who we put the money into whose pocket, you know? And, and oftentimes it can be very direct when we're doing those support initiatives and we're going right to the source. Sometimes it's a roundabout way and we support like the Red Cross for some initiatives in the Ukraine earlier this year, whereas like that was the best avenue for us to help. But oftentimes I like to get as close to the actual folks we're trying to assist and, and, and bypass all the in-between people. You know, I think that's, we're, we're small and nimble enough as a company where we can still do that. And so we like to take advantage of that. Well, and it helps you appreciate where that money is going and how it's, it's being, uh, it's being used. I have some experience in nonprofit work. And I think one of the things that was always frustrating was seeing people who donated money or money that was coming in and then seeing it not being used in a way that seemed effective. And when you are the one who is giving that money, and especially as a, a small business, it's nice to know that like, hey, I'm, I'm doing the most that I can with what I can do. Uh, I certainly appreciate that. I want to give you a chance to talk about uh, some of your your, your colleagues at uh, Vigilante. Uh, at some point, you when you were phasing out of roasting and you're in the CAO duties, Franklin Ventura is your master roaster now. How did that partnership come about? And then you also have kind of a, a second in command, Ashley. How do you, you guys de develop, one, your partnership, and then two, you're overseeing locations in multiple uh, states, multiple by your bi-coastal. How do you guys manage that? Yeah, great, great question. I would point other entrepreneurs to a book called The E-Myth, actually written by a guy who was just, I think he still lives in Carlsbad, right here down the street. But that's a great book that kind of guides the way we create structure in our company. So, you know, as the business grew, every role I would develop a description for, and I would create a job title for, and then as I could no longer take on all of the parts of that role, I would hire someone for Ashley joined me in 2012 when we were still in the farmer's markets in the basements and just getting started with pop-ups. 
she's grown with the company and been there since day one, pretty much. And uh, over time, uh, because of her business acumen, having a business degree and more of a finance background, she handles most of our finance operations, uh, making sure we have enough money to procure our green beans, uh, plan for future releases, whether that's merch or unique uh, coffees. And Franklin came into the fold as a, a wholesale customer. He used to manage a small cafe in D.C., and he was just always on point when I visited. I was delivering the coffee myself back then, and I'd roll up on my longboard skateboard, and I'd have their five, 10 pounds in my basket and drop it off. And he was just really like professional and a pleasure to work with in the wholesale capacity. And he lived in the small town where we ended up opening our first shop. And the cafe he worked at, which was in the original Washington Post building, it closed down. They, they were going to kind of like work on the building, the infrastructure. So they closed the cafe down and he needed a, a job to fill the time until they reopened. We reconnected right as we opened up our Hyattsville Roastery and Franklin came on board bagging beans. Franklin was in the production, bagging beans, jumping on coffee bar, learning to do pour overs and helping us in that capacity. You know, in, in small cafes, oftentimes people wear many hats and Franklin wore many hats in both the cafe side and the production side too. And then over time, it became clear that he was a machinist and very capable of fine-tuning and dialing in and really understanding the equipment we were using from the roasting to the grinders, all that, whereas my mind's not so good on that front. So his skill set as a machinist lent him very well to roasting, and he quickly picked it up and was pretty much the second person I trained uh, to be a roaster in the company. And Franklin, I guess, was a roaster alongside me for about three years, and then as I grew into the green buyer role completely, I handed off the roasting role to Franklin and he became the head roaster. Since then, he's elevated his acumen through education, uh, both re independent reading as well as attending classes, participating in U.S. roasting championships, all that stuff. So he, he really, I think, set the goal for himself to become a great coffee professional. And our company, Vigilante Coffee, has been a, an avenue in which he could do that. And then he just became so good that we were like, you can't ever leave and we need you to be uh, with us. So, uh, we're going to make you part owner and uh, let's keep on running and gunning together. And he, he agreed, thankfully. And, and now he runs our East Coast operations. So he's the head of the East Coast. Franklin would even say he doesn't do much roasting these days. Uh, that would be Frank, Josh, who is our head roaster now for the East Coast. And Franklin is really helping on the green buying front and just overall operations, ensuring our cafes and the roasting go smoothly. Well, it's interesting that you're creating an opportunity for career growth, which isn't something that a lot of small coffee shops offer. It's a reason why people get out of coffee is they kind of hit a ceiling at some point. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of sounds like when you're hitting those ceilings, you're uh, taking on more challenges to create more opportunities. Does that sound uh, familiar to you? Yes, but... Not so much like I look at it and I'm like, all right, we got all these talented people and we need to create more opportunities for people. Um, I, you know, there's no safety net uh, for me uh, or for our, our business. Like there's just not anybody waiting to catch us if we have a significant fall. So I've always tried to calculate our moves very carefully and know that uh, each shop is 
equally as important as the other one. Like if you open a new one and it starts siphoning off all the profits from the first two, then you're all of a sudden start to pull your hair out a bit. And so just being very careful how we went about our growth. I think that there's been several one to two year gaps in between stores where we'll look internally and we'll say, oh, how can we improve as a company? How can we really elevate our quality? How can we get better with training? And sometimes during those periods, we have very little upward growth and momentum and we lose some talented people because we're in that moment of looking inward. But as we've grown over the last decade, there have been some really cool opportunities that have presented themselves where people who were bagging beans went on to become head roaster. Someone that started as a barista now is a head roaster. You know, we've had tech, coffee technicians, people that repair espresso equipment, start with our company who now own their own company that we work with on occasion. We have folks that have gone on to start restaurants and things like that. So we've often explained to our team that we intend to keep growing, but at a controlled, healthy pace. And so sometimes that's going to mean that you might need to seek opportunities outside of the company if you want to continue your growth in the specialty coffee game. And we encourage them to do that. Oftentimes, you know, we, we wish we could keep them with us, but ultimately we're just a lily pad that's good. in the day era we live in. You know, you might have 20 jobs in 30 years. And we want people to see this as a positive time in their career path and use it to get to the next place. Like, I'll be real with them in that. Like, this should just be, you know, get that management title on your resume so that when you go to the next thing, you can claim that job and that better salary. If you want to be a head roaster, be an apprentice roaster here so that you enter the next thing in a better position. And that's what we try to teach a lot of the young people that work with us. And I think some of the really hardworking, talented people have, have been able to take advantage of the growth and get in great positions. And truth be told, we're really blessed to have them in those positions. So it's, it's definitely been a, you know, a long, sometimes painful journey to get to where we are. But we've had some really talented people contribute along the way. Some that are still with us and some that aren't. But as they say, there's a mountain of people that we stand on to be where we are. And yeah, we're very blessed to have the, the talent that we have. Sure. So what is, you, you just mentioned something where you kind of take some time after opening a shop to look inward. You would roughly be in that time period now after opening Oceanside. What, what is next for you? I mean, what is on the horizon for Vigilante Coffee Roasters for you as a, as a person? Um, anything that uh, you guys are looking forward to? I think we have ambitions to open up internationally. I think we'd like to, to do something, whether it's in Asia or whether that's in Europe. But we have ambitions to make the world a bit of a smaller place and kind of create a specialty coffee, you know, the Vigilante experience in different continents. And so that's an ambition that we have. It's a big one, uh, but one that we, we would like to continue to pursue. Internally, I think we can get a lot better with telling our story and um, communicating that to our, our customer base, but also continuing to refine and improve our approach with coffee. We go through waves where we have really great, amazing trained baristas. And then we have times where we have a lot of work to do and a lot of training to do. And we're in that period of work and training and development. And so that's what a lot of our focus is for the next six months. But then we really love Southern California too. So I think you'll see us work on putting some shops around here. And then ultimately I'd like to own the building in which we operate from at some point. 
as small business owners, you're always going to be slave to the lease unless you're able to own the building in which you operate, which is really much easier said than done. But that is something I'm interested in getting to. And that's where I plan to take it. I eventually want to own the building in which we operate in and then have some cafes nearby. You know, from a small business standpoint, that helps diversify us. Uh, it helps set us up so that we have a little bit of safety in terms of the business as well as some real estate. And yeah, I think that's kind of the American dream too for a lot of people is to own property and, and real estate. I don't want to own like a whole block or anything, but I would <laughs> like to control my lease uh, and be able to you know call the shots on that for 20 years or so. Well, it's a good thing you picked uh, two of the most affordable places in the country in D.C. and Southern California to do that. Before we go today, when you're out exploring, when you're driving up the coast and you stop somewhere, what do you order to drink for yourself at a coffee shop? Pour over if they got it. Uh, I love a classic pour over. I feel like, you know, I like to sip on something for a while. And so 12 ounces is like perfect for me. A classic drip, too, will work if they got a solid drip on. If it's after 1 p.m., it's going to be a macchiato, for sure. That's my go-to. And then if it's after dinner, just a little espresso for the digestion is what I like. So that's what I aim to drink. What do you What do you order when you're traveling the coast? My wife actually said this the other day. She's like, I never know what to order for you anywhere except when we go into a coffee shop and you order a black drip coffee, no room for cream, every time. And that's always the first thing I order, no matter where I go. For the similar reason, I like to have something to sip on. But two, I always feel like if a shop takes the time to dial in that drip coffee, then I'm willing to go to the next step and try everything else on the menu. I really appreciate that and respect that, that people care about the person that comes in that might not know anything about coffee and just is like, give me a coffee. This is what they yeah. get. You know, they may not buy a $20 bag of coffee or they may not care uh, but the coffee shop cares or the roaster cares, and uh, they want to make sure they're they're representing well across the board. So that's what I order. Well, that's a, that's a good way to measure coffee shops. I mean, I I true I definitely agree with you. It's like that's a good measure of like if you don't care about because for for the folks who might not work in coffee, most specialty coffee bars probably serve like out of four hundred drinks, three hundred and fifty, three hundred and thirty of them are going to be espresso drinks, right? Milk based lattes, that kind of stuff. So you may sell like 60, 70 drip coffees in your morning or your day. So it doesn't even represent the majority of your base, but it's those customers that often become your regulars, your diehards, your bean customers that really appreciate the craft you're taking. And so for us at Vigilante, we definitely pay attention to our drip. It's one of the biggest things we care about and uh, we, we love to keep it dialed in. I'll leave you with, uh, is there anything that we didn't cover today that people should know about about the company or about you? Oh, and also I, I wanted to, to say, I saw that there was a shop dog at one point. Is there still a shop dog? Yes, there's still a shop dog. He, he unfortunately, he took the day off today, but Harold is usually here at the cafe. He can be found just roaming around, eating up the crumbs, uh, saying hi to the customers. I feel like that's a very East Coast thing. Like there was always... When I lived in New York there, or uh, on the coast, there was always a dog at the bar or the coffee shop. I don't see that as much around here. There's always dogs, but not like the shop dog. I think the shop cool. dog. Yeah. Yeah. Her well, you know, Harold was a shop dog when I was roasting in a basement. He was like right there sleeping on beans with me. 
So he's been part of the coffee game since birth, basically. <laughs> you know, you know I, I would say that we have amazing staff that really enables us to do what we do. Like, it's the people that make it special, you know. And my intentions as a cafe owner or you know, designing these or choosing beautiful coffees and whatnot can only go so far. And I'm, I'm really just a facilitator. I don't grow the coffee. These days, I don't even roast it that much nor will you find me making your espresso. It's usually our really well-trained, excellent baristas and, and roasters and coffee growers. And so uh, to me, it's continually recognizing how amazing it is that we're drinking a world-class cup of coffee that's grown in some far away off exotic place. And that there's maybe like 20 different hands that contributed to that product, finally making it to you right in front of you for this moment in time. And this thing's going to give you life. It's going to uplift you. It's going to fire off your brain. You're going to be able to work better, be more efficient. And hopefully it's going to uplift you. I just find that to be fascinating. And I like for our customers to know the journey of it too, because I find the more you know about the products you're consuming or using, the more you care. Hopefully our coffee inspires people to care more about what they're putting in their body and being intentional. Sure. Well, Chris, I, I appreciate you being here and for being my first guest on season six. I know uh, for me, it's always a, it's always takes a minute to get back into it, but this was great. I appreciate it. Oh, Ryan, man, it was a pleasure to chat with you and I would like to connect with you in person and learn more about your journey. I'm sure we can do that at a couple of coffee here at Oceanside. I hope so. Okay, to recap, like Chris, I too assumed that someday I would play in the NBA. I was a 5 foot 8 inch giant in 7th grade, and I assumed I would continue to grow exponentially. It was an assumption that did not come to fruition. My inability to jump very high or run very fast were also detriments. So I found another path, as did Chris. His experience coming of age during the late 2000s recession inspired him to look for a career in which he would always be able to work and that he liked. I think that recession inadvertently created a generation of entrepreneurs by forcing them to get creative with their career path. I'm one of them. The newest vigilante coffee company, the one here in Oceanside on the West Coast, opened after a particularly fraught period of the pandemic. There was a lot of protesting of lockdown restrictions by local businesses and a lot of vitriol. Then there was the growing backlash to masks and the restrictions placed on businesses, despite there still being a lot we didn't know about COVID at the time. I suppose there's still a lot we don't know about COVID, but we've at least learned how to navigate the world in a much safer way. It was in that window that Vigilante opened, and I made an assumption about their brand based on the name that turned out to be wrong. I'm glad I learned the error of my ways fairly quickly but I was also reminded not to judge a book by its cover, at least not only by its cover. One of the biggest takeaways that I took from my chat with Chris came from his recap of the failures that led up to his successes at Vigilante in its current form. It took him a lot of failing to succeed. Being able to bounce back from failure and push forward is a really important entrepreneurial trait. In Chris, it's one that has led to a growing coffee company that inspires humans to be uplifted just by walking through the doors. A few days after our recording, I checked in with Chris again, just to see what I missed. 
and I learned that Vigilante releases a new coffee every two weeks. In Oceanside, they also host live music every Saturday during the day, and they offer a free public coffee cupping on Thursday mornings. You can follow their social media for updates on that or stop by the shop. Anyone and everyone is welcome to experience the cupping and taste coffee with the Vigilante team. Finally, I just want to belatedly welcome Vigilante Coffee Company to North County, San Diego. I'm really glad that they're here, and I also want to say that if and when their international shop opens, I'm available to bag beans, especially if it is in Portugal or Spain or France, Italy, Switzerland, the Maldives. Yeah, just give Roast West Coast a heads up when those jobs are posted. That's all I'm asking. Check out VigilanteCoffee.com to see what coffees they currently have on offer and to order a bag or see more photos of their roaster and cafe spaces. You can follow them on Instagram at VigilanteCoffee. You'll find those links in this podcast's show notes or on RoastWestCoast.com. That's also where I'll link to some of the books Chris recommended or referenced during the show. Check out the website, subscribe to the newsletter. It's a win-win-win relationship. As always, this podcast is free to listen to, but you can help me grow this show by joining the Roast West Coast Coffee community and choosing one of the paid subscription options on the newsletter. You'll get access to the Bean Journal and be one of the primary reasons I can keep this program going every single week. I already have a full slate of Season 6 guests lined up. This season on the podcast, you'll be hearing from coffee professionals from up and down the West Coast and our Coffee Smarter experts, Jared Hale of Hasea Coffee Source, Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle, Ryan Sullivan of Moster Coffee, Alden Hazuri of Crossings Coffee, and Siri Simran Kalsa of Lofty Coffee are all returning for new coffee education episodes. And I'll be doing more in-person coffee meetups and show events at some of this podcast's awesome roast industry partners, including Cafe La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, and Ignite Coffee Company, which will hopefully be opening their doors soon this fall. I'll also be checking in with the Send Coffee Roasters, First Light Whiskey, Morea Coffee, and Cape Horn Coffee Importers, just to see what's up and so much more. Thank you all for listening, for supporting the show, and this show's industry partners. Don't forget to check out the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com and for using your power to support craft coffee. This episode, the first of Season 6 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. It's good to be back. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. the train. Always tip your baristas and be... (laughs) I missed you, train. Always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.